There is a war developing in the Delphi homicide case, and I think it's going to get ugly. Lori Vallow is headed to Arizona. Brian Koberger's attorneys are making their case for a dismissal. Sam Bankman-Fried has testified in his case in his own defense. I'll give you the key points. I did not know he was a juvenile until yesterday, said the teacher. What could that possibly be about? And then finally, our dumb criminal of the day. Let's talk about it. Good day, everyone. My name is Scott Reich, and this is Crime Talk. Thanks for joining us. You know the drill. Subscribe if you haven't. Like if you do. Leave me a comment below, and remember to hit that little bell so that you receive notifications of when we go live or put up new content. And remember, you can always listen to us anytime on any of your favorite podcasting apps. All right, a quick reminder. You can join the Crime Talk Halloween contest by sending in your pictures of your costumes up until Halloween morning, and we will pick a winner. There's two categories. Each one is potentially can win $100 that we will Venmo or somehow send to you. And it's simple. If you're a Patreon member, well, you got a better chance of winning because, well, you're a Patreon. There are fewer Patreon than just a general subscriber. The next one, you have to send in a photo of yourself in the uh, costume, and it can be your kids as well. And if basically, if it makes us laugh, if we really like it, you're going to win 100 bucks. So we got the subscribers and our Patreon group. So send them to our Instagram sign below, the little handle. We'll put it right there. Send it to us before that date and enter to win. All right, let's go ahead and open the record for October 26, 2023. And the first item on the docket is the Delphi homicide case. Now, as you may recall, there was supposed to be a hearing last week in the Delphi case, but it was unexpectedly announced that the attorneys for Richard Allen, the suspect in the Delphi homicide cases, that his attorneys had withdrawn. It was very odd. And from the filing of the attorney that was representing one of the attorneys in this particular case, uh, Mr. Uh, McClellan, I'm sorry, Mr. Razi had his own attorney, it made it sound like there were some sort of breaches of discovery uh, that got out. So the attorneys show up, they're basically kicked off the case, the judge comes out on the bench, apologizes, sends Mr. Allen back to the uh, prison, and the matter's over. Well, guess what happens today? There is a filing made by the attorney, Mr. Razi, uh, attorney for uh, Mr. Allen, saying, oh, judge, you're not getting rid of me. I'm staying on. Well, this gets tricky because he's court appointed by the court. So there's going to be a bombshell uh, hearing at some point is going to resolve this. And the attorneys for Mr. Allen are saying, oh, judge, you're not getting rid of us. We're on the case. The only one who's going away is you. So this is one of those important cases where I think it is important to just read the verified notice of continuing representation in the Delphi case. And this is the state of Indiana versus Richard Allen in the Carroll County Circuit Court. It was filed October 25th, which was yesterday at uh, looks like 7.51 p.m., but it's news today. It says, come now, attorney Bradley A. Rossi, counsel for Richard Allen, and in support of his verified notice of continuing representation, now swears and affirms as follows. First, on November 14th, 2022, counsel entered his appearance on behalf of Richard M. Allen. Counsel has engaged in the continuous representation of Defendant Allen since that date and time. Second, 
on October 12, 2023. The court communicated with Prosecutor McClelland, Attorney Rossi, and Attorney Baldwin, at which time the court ordered Attorney Rossi and Baldwin to, quote, cease work on Mr. Allen's case, end quote, until the parties were set to appear in court on October 19, 2023. The chilling effect of the court's emailed order was essentially strip defendant Allen of his Sixth Amendment right to representation and essentially disarmed attorney Rossi, Baldwin, and the defendant Allen during the week leading up to the scheduled hearing, which was ordered by the court sua sponte. That means on the court's own uh, order. Nobody asked for it. Paragraph three. In an October 17, 2023 email, attorney Rossi requested a conference to determine what we, the court, the prosecutor, and the defense counsel are trying to accomplish on Thursday, especially in terms of what is expected of us while we are on the record in open court. In response, the court ordered both the defense and the prosecutors to appear in chambers at 12.30 p.m. on October 19th. Next paragraph. On October 19th, 2023, Attorney Rossi and Baldwin appeared at the Allen County Courthouse in advance of the 2 p.m. hearing. This was prompted by Attorney Rossi requesting that the parties communicate in advance of the scheduled hearing. Next paragraph, Attorney Rossi and Baldwin appeared in chambers on the 19th at approximately 12.30 p.m., at which time the prosecution was present. Attorney Rossi is of the understanding that the court reporter secured an audio recording of the in-chambers conference, which took place in two parts. Next paragraph. The court first concluded business as it related to several pending motions by communicating with the parties and issuing rulings on said motions. Paragraph 7. The court then read a prepared statement to Attorney Rossi and Baldwin, identifying very issues, various issues throughout the case through which Attorney Rossi and Baldwin exercised gross negligence in carrying out their responsibilities as counsel for Defendant Allen. The court then suggested that Attorney Rossi and Baldwin engage in discussion outside of chambers regarding the allegations. Attorney Rossi and Baldwin asked for clarification, at which time the court communicated to Attorney Rossi and Baldwin that there were two distinct options. One, either voluntarily withdraw their appearance and exit the courtroom in advance of the hearing, or two, participate in the 2 p.m. hearing in the courtroom where a media camera was installed, the national media was present, and the law enforcement community was seated in the jury box directly behind defense table, at which time the court would read the prepared statement into the record and then disqualify both Attorney Rossi and Attorney Baldwin in the presence of Defendant Allen, his family, and the general public. After waiting approximately one and a half hours, for Defendant Allen to arrive at the courthouse, Attorney Rossi and Attorney Baldwin communicate with Defendant Allen regarding the stark choice the court had offered in chambers. Defendant Allen reaffirmed his desire to move forward under the representation of Attorney Rossi and Attorney Baldwin. And there's a footnote. On October 12, 2023, Attorney Rossi filed correspondence with the court. Said correspondence contained a letter dated October 11, 2023, signed by Defendant Allen, wherein Defendant Allen acknowledged that there was aware of the issues regarding the crime scene photos that were stolen from Attorney Baldwin's office and desired Attorney Rossi and Baldwin continue with their representation on the case. As of October 24th, Defendant Allen objects to the court's attempt to strip him of his current counsel, Attorney Rossi and Baldwin. Next paragraph, after speaking with Mr. Allen, 
Attorney Rossi and Attorney Baldwin then returned to chambers, at which time Attorney Rossi articulated to the court that the court had engaged in an ambush of defense counsel, entirely void of due process, and that Attorney Rossi would withdraw his appearance. But that said withdrawal was not a voluntary withdrawal because the court made clear that if Attorney Rossi did not agree to withdraw, the court would publicly shame him in front of the world and his client before forcing him off the case by disqualifying him. Next paragraph. All of these events in chambers occurred without any formal allegations of contemptuous behavior by Attorney Rossi or Baldwin, without any pending pleadings requesting disqualification of defense counsel, and without any pending disciplinary complaints with the Indiana Supreme Court's Disciplinary Commission. Next paragraph. In total, Attorney Rossi and Attorney Baldwin have practiced law in the state of Indiana for more than 50 years without a single substantiated finding of a disciplinary action against either. At no time while in chambers did the court ever articulate to either Attorney Rossi or Attorney Baldwin that their conduct compromised Defendant Allen's defense in any way. In fact, Defendant Allen himself doesn't believe this to be the case. There are no bona fide facts or circumstances where an attorney Rossi engaged in gross negligence, nor was there any showing that any conduct by attorney Rossi resulted in negative consequences to another party, i.e. defendant Allen. In sum, attorney Rossi and Baldwin did nothing to compromise Richard M. Allen's defense, and attorney Rossi's oral acquiescence to withdraw his appearance as defendant Allen's attorney was forced coerced, and driven only by circumstances created by the tribunal, which delivered two terrible options, quit or to be shamed in public before being disqualified from representing Mr. Allen. The court's premeditated ambush of the defense placed attorney Rosian Baldwin and the client, Richard Allen, in the most compromising position. The trial court stated intention to read a prepared statement criticizing defense counsel created impossible ethical bind. If counsel did not agree to withdraw in chambers, the trial court would publicly disparage the representation of the accused, framing their advocacy on his behalf as gross negligence, casting both counsel and the merits of their client's defense in a negative light. This public statement and circumstances created by the trial court risked tainting the jury pool, harming their client's defense, undermining their professional relationship with the client, and possibly creating an actual conflict for their continued representation. The jury trial in this matter is set to commence on January 8th of 2024, a full one year and three months after the arrest of Defendant Allen. The appointment of successor attorneys will prejudice Defendant Allen by and through further delays in this case and trial. If, however, Attorney Rossi moves forward with his representation of Defendant Allen, there will be no need for two newly appointed attorneys to dedicate hundreds of thousands of hours toward a mere review of the discovery, which continues to pour in in as recent as late September. There will be no need to marshal all the discovery and return to the, to the prosecution. There will be no need to bring up to speed new staff members, investigators, and possibly a new set of experts to address the many complicated issues that have already been addressed by the defense. A new defense team would likely result in a shifting of the strategy and approach of Allen's current defense team, which in turn would further delay and compromise Richard Allen's defense. Finally, any successor lawyer would have the convenience of working with Attorney Rossi to become familiar with the subject matter in a much more efficient and fiscally responsible way. All these truths weigh in favor of Richard Allen's choice to maintain Attorney Rossi and his counsel of record. There is no circumstances under which Rule 1.16 of the Indiana Rules of Professional Conduct, which warrant the withdrawal of the Attorney Rossi's representation or 
of defendant Allen. Attorney Rossi notices up this court of his intentions to move forward with representation of the defendant Allen until a final disposition of this matter. Signed by Bradley Rossi. Interesting, 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 ladies and gentlemen. Huge development there. Usually when somebody withdraws, they're off the case. And in this particular case, the court was going to appoint new attorneys. And now the attorney's saying, Judge, you can't fire me. In fact, I'm going to fire you. You're the one that's going away. Interesting. A war is developing. And guess what? Guess what? Um, the defendant is entitled to counsel of his choice. Not so much when he has court-appointed counsel, but if that court-appointed counsel is willing to take him and there's not a conflict, at least not one that's been reported to the bar, then uh, certainly there should not be an issue here uh, at all. Going to be interesting to see how things develop. I somehow don't think the attorneys are staying on. I think the judge will remain, but we'll have to wait and see. Next on the docket, Lori Vallow is headed to Arizona. Governor Brad Little has signed an executive agreement to extradite Lori Vallow to Arizona on a conspiracy to commit murder charges. Now, the governor signed the three-page document Monday, which was sent to him by the Arizona governor, Katie Hobbs, on September 13th. And as we all know, Vallow faces uh, two conspiracy to commit murder charges for the death of her fourth husband, Charles Vallow, and the attempt of the uh, life of her former nephew-in-law, Brandon Boudreau. Now, uh, Vallow has been incarcerated at the Pocatello Women's Correctional Center since the beginning of August after Judge Boyce sentenced her to life in prison for the murder of her children, Tylee Ryan and Joshua J.J. Vallow. She was also found guilty of conspiracy to commit murder of Tammy Daybell, the former wife of Lori's current husband, Chad Daybell. The uh, agreement states that it is agreed that the uh, governor of state of Idaho and the governor of state of Arizona, that uh, Lori Vallow will be extradited pursuant to this agreement from the state of Idaho to Arizona for trial. And the state of Arizona, the state of Arizona may obtain custody of the said fugitive and the said fugitive may be transferred back and forth between the state of Arizona and the state of Idaho. Arizona will pay to transport Daybell with no further formal extradition proceedings according to this agreement. So normally when somebody is extradited, it is pursuant to a governor's warrant. And usually the state that once the person comes and picks them up and the uh, defendant usually winds up paying the cost. In this particular case, obviously, Ms. Uh, Vallow is remaining in custody in Idaho. And for her to go back and forth, it's basically a fancy writ to take her to Arizona, keep her during dependency of the trial. And then when the trial is done, guess what? Ship her back to Idaho. And when she gets done serving that life sentence, then she can go serve the one in Arizona. Obviously, that's never going to happen, but you get the gist. For those of you who are not familiar with the background as it relates to Lori Vallow and the death of her husband in Arizona, well, the grand jury indicted uh, Vallow in June of 2021 after her brother, Alex Cox, shot and killed Vallow uh, in his uh, Chandler, Arizona home. Cox died in December of 2019 with the medical examiner to be deemed a natural cause, just like all the other people around Lori Vallow, natural causes. Well, a second grand jury indictment was filed in February of 2022 for conspiracy to commit the murder of Boudreaux. At the same time, he was married to Melanie Pawalski, uh, Vallow's niece. Police say that Cox was shot at uh, Boudreaux and tried to kill him. If found guilty of these conspiracy charges in Arizona, Vallow could face a life sentence. 
Like I said, we know she's already doing life in Idaho. Next on the docket, Brian Koberger. His attorneys are making one last ditch effort to make the case go away. So Brian Koberger's attorneys returned to court today for a hearing where they will fight to have all charges dropped against him and so that he can walk free from jail. Let's say, what are the odds of that happening? Oh, that's right, zero. I'll get to it in a second, but obviously Koberger is the PhD student and he's awaiting trial for the murders of the four University of Idaho students, Kayla Gonsalves, Madison Mogan, Zaina Cronodal, and Etha Chapin. Koberger's attorneys filed a motion early in the year to dismiss the indictment, citing irregularities with the grand jury process, therefore making it, everything inadmissible because of prosecutorial misconduct. Well, the court is set out to have a hearing today um, to determine whether there were such irregularities that the indictment against Mr. Koberger should be dismissed. Now, we haven't seen all of the allegations uh, from the uh, defense in their motion. We've seen the general allegations. Frankly, I don't think it's anything that rises to the level of grand jury misconduct. I doubt that the defense is going to have enough to muster anything, but they're doing this as a Hail Mary attempt and to create an appellate record in the future uh, when and if uh, Brian Koberger is in fact convicted. So the first hearing is scheduled to start at 9.30 and is closed to the public, of course, because that's the way they do things in Idaho. Another hearing is scheduled to open to the public where Mr. Koberger is, like I said, his attorney is going to argue um, there were errors in the grand jury instructions and therefore, that's okay for us to see, but not what misinformation was allegedly given to the grand jurors in the grand jury proceedings. His attorneys have previously tried to argue that the DNA evidence may have been uh, planted on that little um, button on the uh, knife sheath and that the estate has not handed over all of the evidence to the defense to review. Obviously, the prosecutors deny that and they say that they have everything that they need. We'll see how it goes. Somehow, I don't think the case against Brian Koberger is going to be dismissed. No, it's not. They're making the argument. It's an appellate issue. That's about it. Don't expect a whole lot of traction. I could be wrong, but I don't think I'm going to be. Next on the docket, Sam Bankman-Fried. Yes, Sam Bankman-Fried, SBF, the crypto hedge fund con man, alleged con man, I should say. Give it another week. Then we'll, we'll take away the alleged. Anyway, he testified in his own defense. And I told you the other day it was going to be a complete catastrophe, a calamity in the making. Well, let me give you the highlights. Of course, the direct examination from people that were in the courtroom that I've watched it all, which is basically, ah, I did my best. I delegated a lot of things. Uh, we did our best. We did our best. I did not knowingly do anything. Cross-examination the greatest truth-seeking tool ever invented. Let me give you a summary. So Mr. Bankman-Fried is avoiding answering a lot of the questions directly. The court um, jumps in a couple points, but let me uh, hit the high points of Mr. Bankman-Fried's cross-examination. I don't recall doing so. I don't recall giving him any specific direction on it. I don't have any knowledge that I did, but I'm not looking at a copy of it, so I don't know precisely what it says. At some point, the uh, defense objected uh, to a question on cross-examination, and the judge says, quote, I'm going to allow this. Um, I'm going to acknowledge the uh, point you make, but all things are relative, and there's a good deal to uh, what the government says also. 
part of the problem is that uh, the witness, uh, what I'll uh, simply call, has an interesting way of responding to questions. All right. When the judge is saying that in open court in front of the jury in response, it's unclear if that was in front of the jury or at a bunch conference, but either way, if it's that obvious to the judge that the uh, Sam Bankman-Fried has a unique way of answering questions, that's code for he's evasive, he's not answering the questions, and let's face it, he's not doing a very good, good job on cross-examination. Obviously, cross, or I'm sorry, closing arguments will probably take place next week, whereupon I will predict that Sam Bankman-Fried will be convicted, if not on all, nearly all counts. We'll wait and see. We'll give him the presumption of innocence. I'm just telling you, you know how I feel about some of these money shysters. Next on the docket, <laughs> I did not know he was a minor until yesterday said the teacher. That's right. Please meet Ricky Lynn Laughlin, 25. Stands accused of one count of possession of child pornography, tampering with a witness, tampering with physical evidence, attempted statutory rape in the second degree, promoting obscenity in the first degree, and furnishing pornographic materials to a minor. Now, according to the Mary's County Sheriff's Office, the illicit relationship consisted of the teacher pursuing the student while the student hesitated and made excuses not to engage with the teacher. As the story goes, there was apparently an anonymous tip that a encounter that involved some sexual contact between an employee and a student at the St. James R1 High School, which is about 90 minutes southwest of St. Louis. So the police did what they have to do. They investigated it. And they ascertained that uh, Laughlin contacted the boy via Snapchat after the uh, school year began. Eventually, the student and the teacher apparently had a kiss in the classroom. The student allegedly also told the detectives, according to the affidavit for probable cause, that, quote, things progressed rather quickly. And after that, classroom kiss is when it all really went fast. Now, the teacher requested nude pictures from the student. Um, the teacher then sent the student nude pictures of her and uh, sent him a video of herself using some other things on a video that were sent to the student. Well, the student uh, provided the teacher with the uh, photo that she requested. And at some point, though, uh, Laughlin allegedly told the student that uh, people are beginning to talk and, well, we, we need to delete everything that we've sent each other. So let's go ahead and do that. So the boy allegedly deleted some content, but was able to save enough, just enough to show the detectives. Then when the police went to talk to the teacher, Ms. Laughlin, she admitted that she allegedly invited the 16-year-old to her residence to have sex while her husband was out of town. But the boy made excuses for not uh, meeting with Laughlin because he didn't feel comfortable about the whole situation, according to the arrest affidavit. So after talking with the uh, child, the detectives also then interviewed the teacher. And her response was, quote, I was not aware he was a minor until yesterday, the teacher told the police. Well, after giving over her phone consensually, bad move. Guess what? Investigators say they found three videos similar to the content that the child had described earlier to the police. Needless to say, the uh, defendant, Ms. Laughlin, is currently on leave from her place of employment pending a further investigation. And of course, the... Uh, School has issued all the perfunctory statements saying, we are outraged. We would never knowingly allow this. We can't imagine why a 25-year-old would want to have sex with a 16-year-old boy. 
get your checkbook ready, school district. They're, the minors' kids' parents are coming for you, as well they should. Anyway, bad, bad, bad teacher. Don't do that. Please go to crimetalksearch.com, sign up for a background subscription service. You'll be happy you did. If there's anyone out there you were ever curious about, what was in their background, now is the time to do it. If you're going to get involved with somebody, now is the time to do it. When you go to crimetalksearch.com, you put in the name, literally millions of public records are searched and a report is generated. And it's going to give you a report. If they have multiple social media accounts, you're going to find it. If they have multiple phone numbers, multiple email addresses, it's going to be found. And more importantly, you're going to get information regarding criminal history. Hopefully the person you're searching has none whatsoever, but if it's there, it's going to be found. You're going to get everything you'd want to know, whether you're going into business or whether you're going into a personal relationship, you're going to be able to find out the information you want to know. So go to crimetalksearch.com, sign up today. You'll be happy you did. And finally today, our dumb criminal of the day. An Indianapolis man has been charged after he went to a park on the north side of Indianapolis and apparently shot uh, several firearms into the White River. And then in the early morning hours, an officer were dispatched to the East 73rd uh, area and Fitch Avenue on a call that shots had been fired. The uh, police reports state that the caller said that 11 to 12 shots were heard fired in the area possibly coming from the Overlook Park. When the officers arrived, they heard multiple shots being fired towards the park, and um, the police investigated. They saw a car back up, heard an engine rev, and the car was a Chevrolet Impala that uh, came around the corner at a high rate of speed. When they stopped the driver, he admitted to shooting multiple firearms in the park. Why was he shooting firearms in the park? After buying all that ammo, ammo's expensive these days, and you know, getting the guns and everything, he didn't want to have to pay to go shoot them at the gun range where it's safe, where you know there's nobody downrange. It's not going to hit some stranger walking in the park. Yes, that dumb criminal of the day is dumb, ladies and gentlemen. All right, that's all we have for you today. Thanks for watching. We will see you next time on Crime Talk. Crime Talk.